If you all were here last week, you remember that we talked about uh, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's one thing to remember that verse. I've heard that quoted often. But often when people quote it, they don't recognize that Jesus said it while hanging on a cross, which makes it remarkable. It's remarkable enough that he would pray the prayer, but that he would say that from a cross uh, makes it exceptional. And so today and then next week or on Easter Sunday, we're going to remember two more words of Christ from the cross. wanted to spend some time, though this is different. I said it last week, and it, and it turned out that it was different than most Sundays at Family Bible Church. Um, not that we don't always examine God's word. We do. We hold God's word in high regard because it ought to be held in high regard. It is his very word to his people, and we ought to hear it as such. And we always make it a point that anyone that speaks here shares God's word with us. And we don't, we don't really have a lot of interest in hearing other things besides the Word of God when we're together for worship and listening for Him to speak. And so, but this is different in that uh, we want to really spend some time uh, dwelling deeply. I don't know if any of you took the opportunity this last week to reflect on that prayer of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But that's a worthy exercise as a believer in Jesus just to roll a verse around. And by the way, it could be any verse of the Bible. It not have to be this verse or that verse, but we're choosing three in the series to really reflect deeply on. So it's different because we're going to go very deep considering a very small piece of text. But we are doing it because it is worthy of our time this Easter. Now, I said it last week, we often get caught up in the stuff, and the stuff is good. Yesterday was a beautiful day, and there were people up on the square in our community doing an egg hunt, and it was awesome, I'm sure. And yet, as believers, we want to remember, I mean, I don't know, have you caught all the commercials and stuff, all, all, the, all the traditions of the holidays? The one I've noticed most distinctly this season for me is the Reese's peanut butter eggs. Like, that, that, that seems like it's everywhere. I see, actually, we were out walking last night. I saw wrappers on the ground. This is what Easter is about. What we want to remember as believers in Jesus Christ is far, far more profound than peanut butter covered, or chocolate covered peanut butter eggs. Which I don't think is peanut butter, by the way. But. So we want to reflect deeply. So I hope you'll be willing to take the journey with me in this, in this time of deep reflection for this series. I, I know you're here to worship Jesus. I am too. But I really want to learn more about what this means. And, and so last week we talked about this prayer of Jesus from the cross. And then today I'm going to share with you uh, this, today's verse. I'm going to put it on the screens first and then I want to pray. And then we'll study it deeply together. The verse comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 27, verse 46, I should say. And it says this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I read it one more time. Jesus on the cross again, just like last week, cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to pray to ask for wisdom to understand this text that would change our hearts and minds, that would draw us near to Jesus. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this Easter season, for the remembrance lest we forget of the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf. The sacrifice that satisfied your demand 
for righteousness, the sacrifice that you gave that we do not deserve, we did not deserve, and we would never deserve, and yet you gave it willingly to your people that we might be free. We pray a prayer of thanks today. What else can we do, Father, but give you thanks for your gift to us? We pray, Father, that we would live in a space of recognizing, not devaluing what you've done, but recognizing rightly the price that we might live lives that are worthy of Christ. Oh, Father, would you give us deep understanding today? Would your Holy Spirit come and teach us in our hearts, soften our minds, redirect our eyes and our ears toward your things, and compel us to act, to live according to the truth of the Easter story. May you be glorified. We need you to do this teaching. We cannot do it on our own, and I cannot do it on my own for sure, Father. I pray that your words would come through and mine would be suppressed. This would be your words to your people, including me. We long to hear from you again today. We love you so much, and we thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit, and the glory you've poured out in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So if you want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew when the Bible's on the end of the chair rows, I think it's page 697, I want to say. Yeah, there we go, 697. And if you're going to look along, I encourage you to do so. You can see a little bit of the context. Um, one thing you'll notice right away in this story, I told you already, Jesus is on the cross at this point, right? But this is at the very end of the Gospels because this is the point of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. This is the point of the good news. We, we've spent a lot of time, like in the we're a study of Mark, we spent a lot of time walking the walk with Jesus. But it, make no mistake, it culminates in this moment in history. It punctuates the Gospels. And so we have here in the 27th chapter this high point. And I want to read just a couple of verses around it to give us a little more depth and context. And then we're just going to dig in, dig into this proclamation, this cry that Jesus makes from the cross. Verse 45 says this, From the sixth hour, that's noon by the way, until the ninth hour, that's three in the afternoon by the way, our time, Darkness came over the whole land. Around the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This uh, setting of this darkness that's surrounding this moment leading up this moment of expectation wondering what the words of Jesus might be and I I put to you today that I can think of nothing I, I, I can't imagine something as majestic and terrifying as what he uttered in that moment as a matter of fact when you study this sometimes it's called the controversial sayings the difficult sayings this is one of those things that, that maybe as Christians you would rather put away, hide from, ignore, not tell. I, haven't, I can't think actually that I've ever heard a message about this passage of Scripture. Nor have I preached one about this pas passage of Scripture. And yet the words resonate when they're said. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why is that in the Bible? Why is it said from Jesus 
on the cross. For those of you who may not know at this point in Jesus' journey, I'm sure it's very few of you who would know this, but Jesus has already told his disciples he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the very Son of God. He's the one that Elijah and the prophets talked about. He's the one the psalmist wrote about. He's the one that Christus demonstrated just came to Jerusalem with great fanfare and celebration. And indeed, he's the one that just said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But oh, the darkness that comes in this moment. Jesus on the cross. He cries out, my God. Hmm. I think I want to just kind of pick it apart and then talk about answering the question. Because the fundamental question that Jesus asks is, why? It's in there, isn't it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll talk about that after we talk about the rest of the structure of what he says. The first is the way he addresses. Isn't it interesting that last week we talked about how he said, Father, forgive them. There's still this kind of relationship. There's still this kind of thing happening. You know, it's what Jesus has always known, even on the cross. It's what he's always known. But here he addresses them as El, Eli. As a matter of fact, in the very next verse, they think he's calling to Elijah. Listen, he's saying Elijah, because it says Eli, Eli, but it means my God, my God. We hear Jesus addressing God the Father almost externally. Did you catch that in there? That's how we address God. Oh, what a privilege it is to pray the prayer, Father. Because by all creation standards, he's God, he's different, he's other. And here we have Jesus saying, Eli, God of me. Why would that be? Why would he address his father, who he's been with since the beginning of time, like before creation, he was there. There's been no interruption in relationship. Why in this moment is he like, my God? And then, he doesn't just say it once, but he says it twice. He, he, he says, my God, my God. Like, we can get this even now, like any time in the scripture, something is said twice. It's like, pay attention to what's being said. It's communicating something of emotion, or dare I say, desperation, of hopelessness, of brokenness of longing like you know what I'm saying like whenever whenever you cry out you might say um, God help me but but if it's really bad you might say God help me God help me God help me because it's bad there's a reason right he would say it twice a lie a lie I listened in preparation this morning I listened this week to several readings of Scripture it's interesting to hear how people inflect this differently. Sometimes it's Eli, Eli, or uh, um, Eli, Eli. It's just a different way to pronounce it. But the reflections are, or sometimes it's Eli, Eli. But listen, 
The word does not necessarily give us a choice of how to interpret this because it says he cried out in a loud voice. This is, this is not, he's not whispering this. He's not even saying this just loud enough so people are going to hear it. There's this moment, and this is what I get like from the image in the scripture. There's this moment where this had been about Jesus and the people. This had been about what's happening right here in this moment under the cross. And then now all of a sudden, it's like they're the only people in the room is God and his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Everyone else should be, could be gone just as well. There needn't be any witnesses in this moment. I, I don't believe that Jesus pretends in his life. I don't believe he, he's trying. There's one time I found in Scripture where he, he pretends, and it's along the road after resurrection. He pretends to go on, but he really is going to go to their house. But this moment is not a pretending moment for Jesus. And all of a sudden you have, here, look at it, right? People under the cross are witnessing this conversation that's happening this way above the cross. Like, my God, my God. It says he cried out in a loud voice. And then the question is heartbreaking like we should get this right we should be able to relate to this feeling because it's not just that he addresses him he asks this question where he says why have you forsaken me why have you forsaken me? Like, it's not like, why am I here? Or where are you at? It's like, why have you left me? In this moment, at this time, and oh, the question, why? Some of the confessors mystery in this, because who can know? Who can truly know what Jesus is experiencing except Jesus and God himself? But to be forsaken, I want to walk us up again to the experience of Jesus to this point. He's out and he's doing ministry in, the, in his life and, and people love it, man. Before they came into the triumphal entry, people were loving it already. Crowds were coming. People were carrying their sick friends to Jesus. This is the guy that we all love. This is the guy that can heal us. This is the guy that can feed us. They would leave their villages and they would walk miles to go see Jesus because he's worth it. And then Jesus began to talk about this moment. And he says, there will come a time that you will have to be part, take part in my flesh or you'll be no part of me. And they said, this is hard, I can't. And they left, the crowds left. Okay, the crowds left. But the disciples were there. And the disciples start to fall away. And Judas betrays him, right? Judas does. And then amongst the, the rest, Peter says, I'm never, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, you will deny me. And he's denied by Jesus, or by, by um, Peter. Jesus is denied by Peter and then along the way to the cross and we always have listen we always have this idea that at the end there's a few faithful who are there going I still believe in you Jesus but we don't see that witness necessarily we see Jesus on the cross saying this is your mother this is your son I get that but I mean as far as believing dedication unless we think the abandonment was not complete he doesn't say, why have you all left me? He says, why have you forsaken me? My God. This is the utter and complete disconnection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I wanted to share 
maybe some other words, because maybe forsaken is like kind of spiritual or religious. It feels kind of out there. Like, have you been forsaken in your life? Can you relate to being forsaken by other people? I'm not sure that I can. So you start to kind of walk it out. And I, there are some other words we can use here. One is uh, deserted. H- have, you, have you been deserted, right? Again, I don't have a great relationship with that word necessarily, but I hear of people who desert. They're the worst, Right? We punish people who desert us in the time of need, in the time of battle. Like if you're a deserter in the battlefield, you're the worst of the worst. You go from hero to zero, from patriot to like complete enemy because you've left someone in the lurch. You've left them in the moment of need when they're the most vulnerable. And this word can be used where it's forsaken. Another word that is also can be used here is this word abandoned. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now this word I connect more with in my own life to feel like you've been abandoned. You think of some images we could use here of, of, a, of a child who's been left at the fire station by a mother and a father. You think, who could abandon the baby, right? Or, or someone who, who's been left on the side of the road by friends, abandoned with no way out. But this isn't people we're talking about. This is Jesus and his Father. Or explicitly, Jesus and God. Why have you abandoned me? You see, you know who is abandoned? They're orphans. Abandoned are people who have a birthright, but aren't given it. They could be called entitled if you want. They have the right to be there, but they're left. And in this moment, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you left me? As a matter of fact, um, another word, this comes right from the Greek. I'm not just like spitting out random words at you. These are like right from the Greek construct of the word when he cries out from the cross. It is to be left behind, which is kind of funny in church context because a few years ago there was a famous left behind series. You don't want to be left behind, man. Don't get left behind. The worst thing in the world is if God leaves you behind. So believe today, lest you be left behind. And Jesus in this moment is on the cross and he's like, my God, my God, why have you left me behind? That's, that's probably the most accurate interpretation same as abandoned, right? Just articulated differently. Left here. And the questions. The question he's asking, why here? Why now? Why in this moment on the cross? We can't miss it, church. And I tell you, I think, I know one of, the, one of the problems that we've had in our own experience of Easter, maybe not you, maybe you've been attentive to this, but of going from the celebration coming to the city to the celebration of resurrection and never actually walking through the pain and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, of what it cost. I told you last week, forgiveness is not cheap. As a matter of fact, it costs everything. Forgiveness is not ignoring all the wrongs, but it's counting all the wrongs And then blessing, grace that's undeserved. As a matter of fact, may I say this this morning? You can only be forgiven if you're guilty. You can't forgive innocent people. It's the guilty who need forgiveness, not the innocent. 
And here is Jesus on the cross, and he's been forsaken by God. The, the prayer, the cry. I, I would encourage you again. I know, I know Easter's coming. I know Easter's coming. But be willing to walk that out. This week that's coming up is called Holy Week. Right? Traditionally in the church calendar, it's called Holy Week. It's the culmination of a season of remembering Jesus' passion for us. But don't, don't be so quick to rush. So that's the structure of the text, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want to talk a, a bit about why. Because I, I find this um, perplexing, probably. <laughs> There's an easy answer, by the way, because God wanted it said, and God said it, and it was recorded. I mean, right? That's the very factual answer. But why? First question is, like, why say it at all? If you're Jesus on the cross, why say this at all? Who, who's going to benefit from hearing this? What, what's the point of this conversation? And I'll disclaim again, only God truly knows, only Jesus truly knows. But we ought to think deeply about it. We, we should not just pass it by. We should not, it's like that thing that we see that we're uncomfortable with, and we just ignore it and put it away. I don't, let's, I can't talk about it, I can't think about that. Why would Jesus say that on the cross? Some reasons that we could begin to relate to is, first of all, in this moment, Jesus is in excruciating pain. It's well known that the, that the act of crucifixion is brutal. From a human perspective, it's brutal execution. You heard the text testify that the land has been dark now for three hours, which is just big things going on here. But at least from that point. Oh God, why wouldn't you deliver me from this moment? He's in excruciating human pain, but that's the least of it. The very least of it. You see, I mentioned this earlier, but we must get our heads around this truth of Scripture that in the beginning, Jesus was there. The Word was made flesh. That's what John says, right? From the beginning of creation, Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit. The triune God, one God, three persons manifest perfectly forever without creation, beginning or end, always there. So you might say, well, why say it? Jesus has never known this moment. He's never known to be apart from God, to be separated in any way. He's not known it. Even those who would say Jesus discovered in his life the reality of his call. He'd always known God, but he has always been there since the beginning of creation. Another reason, perhaps, is that Jesus has always known God's power, and by power I mean presence, in his earthly ministry. You, if you can't go through the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John and get to this point in the text and not realize that he's never lacked for anything. You remember the stories we've been telling, right? He's never wanted for anything. He's, he's always been with him. And in this moment, there's no power, there's no presence. Because that's what it means to have the power of God, to have God present in your life. You remember all those times Jesus would go alone to pray? Remember that? 
He would do a whole bunch of ministry with his disciples and he would go up a mountain to spend time alone with God. What was that about? It's about reconnecting with the presence of God, with knowing more intimately what God was calling. He was about communing with the Father through prayer. But this is gone. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, here's some comparative stuff. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was sweating blood, and crying out, if there's another way, Father, may it be. But not what I want, but what you want. Like even there, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was still in relationship and communion with the Father. But here, he's abandoned. It's truly alone. Why say it? Human suffering, always been present with God, always known God's presence, always had God's comfort, even in hardship. He always had it. But here, it's because in the moment, in this moment, and this is unfathomable, I mean, I really don't think we can ever adequately get our heads around the truth of what's happening here, but in this moment, Jesus is bearing the implications of all the sin of all the world. Maybe you've had an experience in your life where you've wept because of your sin. You've wept because Jesus bore your sin on the cross. And you can't believe that he would bear all your sin. Just take that and multiply it, you know, like exponentially to, to the all creation, all time. From the very beginning, from the first sin, from the fall, everything that happens. And by the way, not just the sin of all people, right? But the, the sin of his creation against him. Like all this is being born in this moment. And not, not just bearing in this moment, which I think is unimaginable, all the sin, but bearing the right demands of God. J.C. talked about it. The right blood sacrifice. Take from amongst your herd one unblemished lamb. And make it a sin offering. That your sins might be covered in the temple of God. One, unblemished lamb. That he might bear your sins. And bring about peace with God. In the moment, this absence, this righteous demand that is God's plan. Like, I just don't want us to cheat Jesus. The scale and scope of the work he's doing. So there's some ideas. There's probably more. Maybe you've thought of other things. Why say it? But here's another question that I have. Why record it? Why would you ever write this down? I mean, even if you were there and you heard it, even if you were the centurion soldier and you heard it, you heard him saying to God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you write this down? See, the funny thing about it, and this is interesting, is it's an Aramaic transliteration of Hebrew. Transliteration. That's whenever you kind of say the sounds that sound like the words that you think are being said. Which is how we get that interesting Eli, Eli, or Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, in the Gospel of Mark. Because it's a transliteration of Hebrew language into the local dialect. It's what they heard him saying. Why would you write this down? 
some of you who have been in the church a while will have the answer. You will say, well, I, I know why Jesus said this on the cross. I'm glad you asked. It's because he's reciting Psalm 22. Yes. Psalm 22, you can read it this week. It's a great reflection on what Jesus is doing on the cross. It begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? The same words that Jesus utters here, and I would encourage you to read it, but is that it? Is just citing another verse of scripture from the cross? See, I think there's power in it because if you read it, it says, Elo, uh, it says uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and then immediately the author of the gospel says, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it's significant that they not only wanted to capture the original moment it was said, but they wanted to capture the reality of what it means for the people who heard it. They don't want them to miss the message. Get this. It's not just that they said, he said this weird thing on the cross, but this is what he said on the cross means. They want you to understand it in the moment. So it's not only that they wrote it down, but they interpreted it immediately, lest you forget, lest you not go through the trouble of looking it up and seeing what it means in Hebrew. Why well, write it down? See, the truth is, and this is true for many Christians, this could be embarrassing. It, it could be undermining to the faith. Um, it could create no end of controversy in the church. Is he really crying out to God? Is he really forsaken? Was he wrong the whole time? If he says this now, what might he have meant earlier? And it can create controversy not just among the believers, but among non-believers. As a matter of fact, many non-believers have used this to mock. Look, on the cross, he says it. As a matter of fact, if you look directly before this passage of Scripture, this is what is said in verse 42, in verse 41. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked Jesus. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will finally believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. Because he said, I am the son of God. And immediately after, Jesus says, not me, like three hours, pray, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Just feeding into the lies of those who are deceived. Feeding into the lies of the mockers and the scoffers. Then I would say something else. Uh, you may have heard much of this. You know in our, in our modern context we love to do textual anal analysis and things are spoken that are theory as fact, you know, new ideas that we've all come up with. Um, and uh, people say, well, they've added this and they've added that. And the question is, why would you um, ever add this? There's been scholars who said, there's no good reason to add this to a, a text. There's nothing good that would come from a human perspective to the faith, to the religion by adding this to the text. As a matter of fact, many have said there's a great reason to omit it, to create what's called the gospel harmony. This one's too difficult to include. So why record it? I think the answer is it was profoundly significant. It was profoundly significant. Profoundly significant to those who heard it. 
profoundly significant that Jesus said it, and in the context of Scripture, profoundly significant that it, that it, that it was recorded for us. What does it mean? I don't know. Write it down. He said, can you imagine the disciples having those meetings? He said, what? And I know we're Easter people, but they don't know that yet. What did he say? Do you remember his words? The last question that I have is, why require this then? If it's recorded because it was said, and if Jesus said it because he meant it, why would God require this? Why would he require Jesus to be completely abandoned on the cross? See, here's the great mystery. In this moment, God, Jesus, is rending himself for the sins of the world. Inasmuch as you have God, Jesus crying out to God, God is on the cross. God is on the cross. And in an unfathomable way, he's ripping himself. He's, he's tearing himself for the people. Do you remember? He said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus' body, the body of God being destroyed. The only one who was sinless being crucified. See, the, you can't look at this in, without doing a lot of theological dancing. Say there was anything but Jesus was being utterly, completely, and mysteriously separated from God, God's self. In the moment, in the plea, the Alpha and Omega is dying. Jesus Christ reveals in this moment the full scale and scope of the division between God and his disobedient and sinful creation. In this moment, the magnitude of the sin problem is revealed. We have a tendency to think it's no big deal. NBD, right? I'm sorry. I'm going to do it again. This moment where God's rending himself, it proclaims forever the absolute requirement for perfection and the absolute price for sin. And it's amazing. And then, lastly, why require it? That we might be saved. That creation might be restored. It's hard to fully understand this, but there's been this great concept, I don't know if you've heard it before or not, but it's concept of the great exchange. And it almost seems too antiseptic when it's said, but I want to share with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I mean verse, yeah, verse, yeah, 21. At the end of expounding on the church's ministry of reconciliation, this is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the very righteousness of God. We often think of that as being a, a one-way street. Yes, in Christ, I'm given righteousness to wear. But it's a dual exchange in this moment. In the moment that we receive and we celebrate the righteousness of God that we've been given, all the sin has been placed upon Jesus in this moment, the sinless one. As a matter of fact, the way you could say it very clearly is the one who was sinless put on sin, and the one who was sinful put on sinlessness. By the way, 
not just for you and me, but for everyone. For everyone who would receive it. For everyone who would recognize it. This is required of God that He would be sin, that we might be free. As we come upon Easter, and we want to celebrate, and we should, and we will celebrate the completing work on the cross. Do you see, when you see a cross everywhere, do you see your rightful place? Like, do you see in your own life the place that you, that I, should have hung forever? Do you hear in the cry of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the words that we would say forever? My God, my God, why have you left me here? And in the great exchange, Jesus says the words, and we say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Do you see? Do you see that? When we rush past, we make it cheap. We make it easy. We make it comfortable. We ignore the scale and scope of the suffering that was due for us. We ignore the scale and the scope of the suffering that Jesus did for us. So the last question I'm going to pray is have you accepted this offer of grace? Have you accepted this great exchange? Yeah, Jesus, I, I, I don't want to be separated from you forever. I don't want to be abandoned by God, forsaken. I want to be in the family have you accepted his offer of grace for your sin? I've had people tell me, man, you don't know my sin. It's too bad. Look at the cross. There's nothing worse. Have you believed in Jesus' name? I hope you have. If you haven't, I'm going to invite you to pray with me today that you might. This is as good a time as any. If you want to consider this further, I would invite you to come to a family group the two that are running right now are going to be reflecting on this more this week. If you're not going to go to a family group and you've got some quiet devotional time this week, you can go to our website and print off a little guide and read through the questions yourself. Look at the text yourself. Answer the questions. No matter what. And no matter what, if we understand it all or not, are you willing to believe in his name? Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation and no peace with God. Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you so much. Honestly, Lord, the words are inadequate because the truth is so profound. What you did on the cross, we cannot fully realize or comprehend or express, and yet we sense a taste, a glimpse of it. Father, today, for those of us uh, who, who need to know that we've been forgiven, I pray that your spirit would instruct us about our forgiveness. Father, forgive us for the ways we've made it cheap and easy. Didn't cost you much. You're God. We're people. Father, would you impress upon our hearts it costs more than we could have imagined, ever dreamed of. And, and could we see in, in the cross the glory, the glory of who you are, 
the accomplishment, the work, the demonstration. Indeed, the truth that it was always your plan to save your people. Father, these are really grand things, but we want to live them out this week. Father, would you help us to live it out this week with you? I pray we wouldn't go around or under or over, but through Easter with you this time. Would you walk us through it? We love you so much. We thank you for the work you've done. We pray a prayer of thanks that we're just invited in as simple sinners, not understanding, but learning more all the time of your glory. May you be glorified amongst your people. We pray these prayers. We put all our hopes in Jesus' name. Amen.